we're going to kick it off here today with Ed Ballantine with Big Blue View, and then Jared Lloyd with the Daily Herald. You're on deck. So go ahead, Ed. Todd, hey, I wanted to ask you, in your recent mock, you don't have anyone as, as an edge rusher going until 21, where you have Quiddy Pay. With the Giants at 11, can you justify any edge rusher going that high? I could. The, the tricky part is, to be honest, with five quarterbacks going in the top 11, and then four pass catchers also going in the top 11, it kind of pushes back everyone in, in terms of the defensive side. So I, I had two corners going, and then it, it went to offensive linemen and then to the, to the pass rushers. But I could, see, I could see the Giants definitely taking a defensive end or an edge rusher at that point. But, but I, I think because of, because of all the quarterbacks and pass catchers, there's a good chance that they get pushed back a little bit. We'll go to Jared Lloyd and then Tommy Birch with the Des Moines Register. Todd, I wanted to ask about BYU guys. Uh, specifically, I wanted to ask about Brady Christensen on the offensive line. He graded out really high all year, but um, obviously BYU's pieced to get together schedule. Did that did that hurt him in your in your eyes as as you graded him? I wouldn't say it hurt him. I I, I like Brady. I, I think. As a day three pick, he has a chance to come in and, and be a backup early in his career, and he could wind up he could wind up being a, a starter at some point down the line. I mean, you, you look at what he has physically, he's 6'6", 300 pounds, and, you know, I, I, I think that he, he plays with good balance. He's sturdy. He, he's not the best athlete, but he, but he moves well enough in pass protection, and he, he brings an edge – to the game in terms of his run blocking and his finishing ability. So I, I like Brady. I think, you know, Dax, Dax Milne is another guy from, from BYU who's going to get drafted late. Um, you know, the, BYU, I'm, I'm just looking at the, the list right now. Obviously, Zach Wilson we've talked about is the number two overall pick. But outside of that, I think Christensen, Milne, uh, Tonga, the defensive tackle, has got a chance to be drafted late, and uh, Wilcox, the, the cornerback as well. We'll go to Tommy next, and then Tony with Bama Insider. Hey, Todd. I was just kind of wondering if I could get your thoughts on uh, Northern Iowa's Spencer Brown and where you kind of project him. Yeah, I, I've got I've got a late round grade on 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 Brown. I'm, I'm looking at just to make sure that I have the yeah. I've got I've got actually no. I've got a, a fourth round grade on him. You know, it's six, seven, 319 pounds. He had a really good week at the, at the senior bowl. And you see the, the physicality, the, the, the length that he has, and he's, he's relatively mobile as well. So, you know, everyone I've talked to in the league has him kind of in that mid round range, third, fourth round range. And, um, and, and again, this year without the, the combine and, and with everything being so different, he he had to show up and have a great week at the Senior Bowl, and, and that's exactly what he did. And he, he impressed a lot of evaluators there, and that's why I think this is a very deep tackle class, but I, I think he's going to wind up in that third, fourth-round range. And then we'll go to Tony and then Anthony with the Cleveland Browns. 
Hey, Todd, thanks for doing this. Uh, the past two years, do you think Najee Harris has done enough to kind of maybe dispel some concerns about his speed? And and I saw you had him going to the Steelers. Is there any other team you could see him kind of falling to? Or is that probably as high as he can climb? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I was so impressed with the improvement that he made in this past year. You know, he decided to come back. A lot of running backs don't don't decide to do that. He came back, and in Steve Sarkeesian's offense, he, he caught the ball a lot better. He was good in pass protection. And the biggest knock I had on him when I studied him in the summer was that he, for a 235-pound back, he didn't run like that. He, he kind of danced and always wanted to bounce thing out, things outside. And he didn't do, this, do that this past year. He really was more aggressive was a north-south runner and just wanted to get upfield and, and utilize his, his size and his strength. So I think he's he, he really improved his draft stock. I think he's solidified himself as a first-rounder. Pittsburgh would be a great spot. Uh, the Jets, that's another, uh, another spot that he could go. I, I put Travis Etienne from Clemson at, uh, at 23, I think it was, for the Jets. But Harris could be the, the pick there. Tampa Bay could use a running back as well. So I, there, there are plenty of teams in that like 20 to 32 range where Harris could go. But I, I think he, he did wonders for his draft stock, if you will, uh, with this past year and, and just the way he competed and how aggressive he was as a runner. We'll go to Anthony next and then Jim McBride with the Boston Globe. Hey, Todd, you have the Browns picking a defensive end and then a cornerback in your mock draft. And I was wondering why you think they should prioritize grabbing a defensive end first. And also, what are the strengths and weaknesses you see in Gregory Russo's game? Um, yeah, I, I just I, I think putting a, another edge rusher on the on the opposite side would would benefit Cleveland. You know, I, I think I'm just looking at their their needs right now. They, they got edge rusher, defensive tackle, linebacker, corner. So they could go in, in a, you know, multiple different ways, but I, with Russo, you know, Quiddy pay I had going a little bit earlier from Michigan and Russo, I think is, is probably the second best. And some teams think he's the best edge rusher in this year's class. The problem is we didn't see him this past year, but he had 15 and a half sacks in 2019. And you can, you just see the athleticism in, in, the ability to finish and to get home as a pass rusher. And, and there's not many guys that can get home the way that he does. So I, to me that he brings a lot of athleticism and a lot of pass rush skills. And I think that if he continues to develop in terms of his strength and being more physical, he can be an every down defensive end. Uh, but right now you, you plug him in and he's going to, he's going to provide you pass rush ability right away. And I, I think Cleveland with the, the offense seems to be set. The defense is where they need to kind of continue to upgrade. And I, I think that the, that would be a really good spot for, for Cleveland in the first round of taking that rusher. Thanks. Jim McBride, you're up. And then we'll go to Mike Carmen with JC Online. Todd, if the Patriots aren't able to make a move to get one of the top five guys, uh, do you see some quarterbacks in day two, day three that might fit their system? Yeah, it's a tough one with New England because I've, I've learned with Bill Belichick to kind of expect the unexpected. And he, it's been like 20 years where they haven't drafted a quarterback in the first round. Everything's been, this, you know, sixth round, obviously, with Brady. And then 
everyone else they've brought in has been second to fourth or fifth round. And, but if you have Tom Brady, you don't need to use a first round pick on a quarterback. So I'm interested to see with all the money they spent on the tight ends and wide receiver and and different, you know, different spots that they, they utilize in, in free agency. It feels like they have the opportunity to package some picks and move up and go get a quarterback. Um, if it's not in the first round, and I had him moving up for Justin Fields uh, to 11, and they may have to go higher to go get a guy like Fields or, or Trey Lance from North Dakota State, or Mac, Mac Jones if he's still available and he doesn't go three to San Francisco where I had him projected. After that, to me, there's a significant drop-off. It's the first five guys, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, um, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and uh, Mac Jones, not necessarily in that order, but those are the five guys that will go in the first round, I believe. After that, I think it's Kellen Mond is probably the the highest rated quarterback coming out of Texas A&M. He he made a lot of improvement in this past season in terms of his decision-making, his accuracy, and and he was the the senior bowl MVP and really has done nothing but help himself um, in terms of the the post-season process. And then Kyle Trask would be the, the next quarterback from uh, Florida who has really had really good weapons around him with, um, with Kyle Pitts at the tight end position, uh, Kadarius Tony at the wide receiver spot. But he, he really developed in the last two years after seven years of his, his football career being a backup. He, he, he was a backup in, in high school. He was a backup in college. And I was there at the Kentucky game where he, where um, Fleepy Franks got injured. And he stepped in and you could just tell like the offense took off when Kyle Trask came in. And, and I, I think he has the, the type of mind and the ability to process uh, that the Belichick and, and that whole staff would, would really appreciate. So I would say Mond and Trask are probably the, the next two quarterbacks to come off the board. Thank you. We'll go to Mike Carmen and then Emmanuel Morgan with the New York Times. Uh, yeah, Todd, I wanted to ask about a couple of Purdue guys, Rondell Moore and Derek Barnes. Barnes was in the uh, the Senior Bowl, but uh, with Rondell, kind of where do you see him fitting in and kind of his strengths and uh, what would maybe be a concern right now? Well, I mean, his size is probably the biggest concern, but how about that workout? I mean, <laughs> I, I just – I love him as a player. I, as a slot receiver, he can also return as well, and he's so quick and fast. And then the explosiveness you see with the, the vertical jump and the 40-yard the dash that he ran, I think, he, what was it, four, three, five, somewhere in that range, yes. depending on which, which scout you talk to. So he is so good with the ball in his hands. And to me, now in the NFL, you want that more than, more than ever. You want a guy that you can work the short game, the um, screen game, reverses, different – different kind of ways to get the ball in, in guys like that, their hands. And he, he just does such a good job of, of sensing where the defenders are. He's so elusive. And then he has that second gear to take off and, and turn a, you know, a seven yard play into a 35, 40 yard play. And that, that's why I think he has a chance to, to be a top 50 pick. I, I you know, this class is loaded. You, you talk about um, Jamar Chase from LSU, the two Alabama receivers, um, we talked about uh, Kadarius Tony from Florida as well, but I think he's in that next tier. And if it's late first, early second, wherever he goes, he's, he, I think he's going to be a special player in the league. 
And then with Barnes, um, you know, he's, he's, he's not the fastest guy. He's not the most athletic guy, but he, he had a good week at the senior bowl. He's, he's six foot two forty five, and he's, he's a strong inside linebacker. I think he's going to be a day three pick and he, he's going to probably have to contribute on special teams early in his career. But, uh, but I think he's got a chance to develop into either a, a solid starter or a good backup that can play multiple positions and probably in a, a three, four, you know, as one of the inside linebackers. Thank you. Is that we'll, go to, we'll go to Emmanuel and then Tom Simons with Tulane athletics. Hey, hey Tom, can, you, can you hear me? Yep. I got you. Cool. Um, can you, can you just assess, um, your, your thoughts on this draft process without a combine. Um, what do you think? What do you think has gone well? And uh, what do you think some of the challenges have been? Um, yeah, there have been a lot of challenges. I, I think the biggest thing is that scouts and general managers and, you know, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, head coaches, they just haven't had the personal time with these individuals that they normally have. You know, Jim Nagy, who's the executive director of the Senior Bowl, he, he, that was the only time where you could, as a, a scout or you know, a GM or a coach, actually sit down and talk to these guys. And, and Jim Nagy, had this, he spent $12,000, I think he said, on, on partitions, just, you know, so that it was socially distanced and, and it was safe. But, but that was the only time that these teams have actually had talking to the, the, the player, the prospect. So that's been difficult. And then the other part is, and I, listen, I, I, I look at all these pro day numbers and I have a database that, that gets, that gets filled up every single day with, with all the pro days, but the numbers are just ridiculous and you can't compare them to the combine. And that's what we've always had, always had, you know, if you run a four, 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 at the combine and you can compare that, compare that to the other receivers from previous years. This year, guys are running four, two, six, four, three, five, you know, they're, they're unbelievable numbers and you have, you can't compare them to previous combines. You have to just compare them against all the other receivers or corners or whatever position it is in, you know, this year and, and what the pro day numbers are, are spitting out. So it's been difficult the information has been hard. I, I, I talked to, um, I talked to a general manager. I'm not going to say his name, but a general manager the other day. And he said, he's never been to more pro days in his entire career. And he's been doing this for 20 plus years. And so I, there's just everyone that that's evaluating is going out and, and spending more time on the road, trying to get at least be around the player, see the quarterback, the ball come off his hand, see the receiver run his, run his routes and, and try to get more information because they're not getting as much information as they have in, in the past. We'll go to Tom next and then Dave with NBC Sports Philadelphia. Hey, Todd, what impresses you the most about Tulane uh, defensive lineman Cam Sample? And how much of a leap do you think he made by winning defensive MVP honors at the Senior Bowl? Um, yeah, I mean, he, he had a really good week, obviously. And I, I think the, the quickness and, and his, his motor and effort, that's, that's probably what, what stands out to me. Like when, when you look at him, on tape, he's, you know, six, two and a half. He's about 270, 275. 
he doesn't have great top end speed, but he's got quickness and he's got good hands and the ability to, to get off of blocks and then go make plays with, with, like I said, the motor and the, the effort that he brings. So I, I, I've been really impressed watching his tape. He's, he's the only, uh, he and uh, Patrick Johnson are the only two guys that, that I gave draftable grades to from, from Tulane. And, and Johnson had a good week at the, the East West shrine game and, and Cam obviously had a really good week at, at the uh, senior bowl. So I, those are the two guys I think from Tulane that have a really good chance to get drafted in, on day three. We'll go to Dave next and then Mark with the Buffalo news. Hi Todd. You had uh, the Eagles taking Micah Parsons at 12. Uh, kind of curious if that was more of a, a product of the way things went before that pick, or if you think he should really be in the discussion for them either way. Yeah, that, that was a, that was a tricky one because I, it, first of all, they, they made the move right to, to move back and you have to assume if you're, if you're Howie, that you're, you're moving out of that pass catcher range of the top four guys, you know, Kyle Pitts, Devontae Smith, uh, Jalen Waddell, and uh, Jamar Chase. So if, if you're moving back to that, that spot at 12, then you're looking at, and I think wide receiver is probably the biggest, biggest area that they need, they need help. But corner and linebacker are the two other spots that I think are, are high priorities in terms of needs. And I had already, I think I already had Patrick Sertan and JC Horn coming off the board prior to, to where they picked at 12. So I, I went with the, the best defensive player and, and again, a linebacker. And Parsons is a stud. I mean, he could go a little earlier. He, maybe he falls a, a few picks later, but he is, he's long. He ran a 4.38, I think, at 246 pounds. I mean, he's 6'3, 246 and, and ran in the four threes. I mean, you just, it's so rare to have that guy. And he's not just a sideline to sideline run defender. He can cover and he also can, can rush the passer. So there are so few guys that you can get like that, like that, that can actually step in right away, be ready to play and can be on the field, all three downs and, and not only play the run, but also do multiple things in the passing game. So that's why I put Parsons there. We'll go to Mark and then Parrish Alford with the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. Okay, uh, two, one question. Uh, do, you, is, do you think there's any chance Quiddy Pay lasts to number 30? And then, uh, and then the, the distinction between Rousseau and Phillips uh, on the edge, setting aside Phillips's medical questions, you know, in his history, just on the field tools, how do you draw a distinction between those two? I don't think pay lasts to, to 30. I, I think he's, he's either going to be the first or second uh, edge rusher, if you will, off, off the board. Um, Rousseau is, I, I talked about Rousseau before he's, he's athletic. He's got some bend and he, he just, he's got that closing burst that you look for in, in an edge rusher. Um, with Phillips, and again, Russo had 15 and a half sacks in 2019, but opted out this past year. Phillips com comes over and transfers after, you know, the UCLA and, and the, um, the head injuries and all the things that he went through. He retired and then came back to football. He didn't even expect to play, but they talked him into it, and 
he had a monster year. I mean, he, he's just with, with Rousseau, I see athleticism and bend and flexibility and closing burst with Phillips. I see power. He is, he's just one of those guys that can turn speed to power, drive an offensive tackle back, you know, push them out of the way and then, and then go finish as a pass rusher. He, 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 as an edge rusher, he's really, really good. And then they, they kicked him inside to, to defensive tackle or, you know, three, four defensive end at times and obvious passing downs. And he just dominated guards. He's long, he's powerful. And he's another guy who just, he finishes. So uh, I, both of these, both of these guys are, are going to be first round picks. It, it may be Phillips before Rousseau or Rousseau before Phillips, but but and they're they're different in their approach, but they're both really good pass rushers, and that's what every team's looking for, you know. Especially in the second half of the first round, if you can get a Jalen Phillips or a Rousseau in the second half of the first round, you, I mean, you're getting lucky because this year, as I mentioned before, is so loaded with quarterbacks and pass catchers early that uh, th- these guys are going to fall a little bit. We'll go to Parrish next, and then Nathan King with 24-7 Sports. Hey, Todd, you were talking about uh, tiers of receivers. What tier do you see for Ole Miss's Elijah Moore and also from Ole Miss, if you would comment on Royce Newman and if you think his versatility will be an impact for him in the draft? Yeah, with, with Moore, I, I think he's kind of – I want to say the second tier, if you will. I mean, I put, I put Kyle Pitts in the, in the first tier as just kind of a, a pass catcher. Um, but going with Devontae Smith and, and uh, Jalen Waddell and then, uh, and then and Jamar Chase is probably going to be the first wide receiver off the board. Um, then it, it goes to Kadarius Toney from Florida. And I, I think that second tier is where you're going to, you're going to see more come off the board. He is so quick. He's undersized, just like uh, Rondell Moore, who we talked about before from, from Purdue. But, um, but he is so explosive. I mean, you, you saw, I think he ran a, what was it? Four, two, eight in his, his 40 yard dash. And yeah, he's, he's five, I don't know, five, eight, somewhere in that range, 180 ish pounds, but he is so quick, so explosive after, after the catch. And, um, and I think he has a chance to be a really good slot receiver in the NFL. Uh, so it, it, I put him in that second tier, as I said, with, with Kadarius Toney, Rondell Moore, Tutu Atwell, uh, Terrace Marshall, who's a bigger receiver, uh, different from the other guys. But he's definitely in that second tier, somewhere in the top 50 overall. But it wouldn't shock me if he went late in the first because of you know, how, how many teams are looking for these receivers who can create and, and make plays after the catch. Uh, and uh, Royce Newman, you mentioned he, you know, six five and a half, three hundred and ten pounds. I have a, a day three grade on him. I, he he does well in the in you know zone blocking and and gets his hands in. He's a pretty good technician. Um, I don't know that he's the best athlete, but he's uh, but he's he's a he's, I think going to be a good backup in the league, and has a chance to develop into a starter if he's in the right system. We'll go to Nathan and then Angelique with the Detroit News. Hey, Todd. Want to ask about a couple guys from Auburn. Um, when Anthony Schwartz, you know, obviously everybody expected him to run a fast 40, but I guess when a guy like that does run what he was expected to do, does that really change anything 
Um, from what you've heard from NFL personnel, did his stock really change because of how fast he ran? And then a guy on the other side of the ball for them, Jamie and Sherwood, he said some teams are seeing him as more of an outside linebacker than a safety. I guess, where do you stand on him um, and kind of your evaluation of him? Yeah, I mean, Schwartz, that, that was a monster workup. I mean, he, he, we, we all knew that he was fast, but to, to run the time that he had, I think really helped him. That, he, he didn't have great quarterback play during his career, um, but he, he, what I love about him, and I've watched his tape recently again after the, the pro day just to kind of wrap my mind around what he did and, and the speed and the explosiveness that he showed. He's one of the fastest guys in, the, in this draft. And he also, getting off the line of scrimmage, he has that like one-step hesitation kind of, you know, quick move, and then he bursts. And he, he just puts so much pressure on corners. Um, he didn't drop the ball very much. He, he, um, he didn't have a lot of contested catches, but he, he's so good in terms of catching the ball, kind of plucking it on the run and transitioning up the field. And, um, and that to me is, is what makes him special that that gives him a chance. I've heard, you know, some teams I talked to have him as a day three pick, but I, I think there's a chance he could go somewhere in the the third round range. I mean, he, to me, like you, you can't find guys that have that much speed and can create like him. And in this year's class, we have a lot of speed guys, but I think Schwartz is going to be probably in the like third, fourth round range. We'll go to Angelique and then Ben Bolin with the Boston Globe. Todd, I was wondering why you're so high on Cody Pay and, and what did he show you in his pro, pro day? And, and also, Nico Collins, where does he fall in your uh, receiver tiers? Cody Pay, the, fir- the first thing that jumped out to me when studying him was how sudden he is. You know, it's like that first step quickness that he has. And I don't know that he was always used properly, if you will. Um, I, I think you, you got to get this guy up the field. And the second thing that jumps out after the suddenness is his motor. I mean, he, there's no, no Michigan player that played harder than Quiddy Pay. And, and he's always chasing plays down from behind. He's always giving max effort. And, and I just, I love that about him. And uh, I, I think he's, I think he's going to be a better pro than he was a college player. You know, his production was, was solid. It wasn't elite, but I think he's, if, if developed properly and in the right system and turned up field all the time, he's got a chance to be a really good pro. And I'm excited to see what he does at the next level. Um, Nico Collins. I've always liked this guy. I, I, I did a couple of Michigan games, I think two years ago, live as the, um, you know, sideline analyst. And Again, he's, he didn't have great quarterback play, and he wasn't always utilized properly, but he can get down the field and accelerate so quickly for, for a receiver with his size. I mean, he, he's big and he's fast. He's not a great route runner in terms of, like, getting in and out of breaks, but as a vertical route runner, he's a guy who can stretch the field and put a lot of pressure on, on defenses. So I've talked to some teams that have him as a day three pick, I think he belongs somewhere in that probably third round range, but maybe even second, because you just don't get many guys that are 
what is he, six, six, four, over 200 pounds and, and can run in the, the low four fours. And, and, and he accelerates quickly. That's the difference between him and some of, some of the other, you know, bigger receivers in this class that he, he gets the top speed in a hurry and he tracks the ball vertically very well. Like he, he sees it, he knows when to turn his head and he can adjust to it because he has really good body control. All right, just a time check here. We're about halfway through, so still plenty of time. Appreciate your patience. If you do have a question for Todd, please use the raise hand feature. We'll go to Ben next, and then Josh Dubow with the Associated Press. Hey, Todd, wanted to ask you about uh, the process of scouting the guys, uh, some more on that. Um, uh, just like uh, watching the film of this past year compared to previous years, do you still, is it still easy to, the, about the same to judge and grade the players. Um, it was obviously a, a weird college football season. What's it like just watching tape on these guys this year compared to previous years? Yeah, it's, it's been different, man. It really has because, you know, half of the guys in the, the first round opted out or, or you know, in the case of Trey Lance from North Dakota State, a small school, they, they didn't have – they have one game uh, against, I think, it's Central Arkansas. So it's, it's different. It definitely is. And so I've, I've spent more time going back to 2019, you know, the year before than I ever have before my, my process and just trying to like, trying to get a feel for players that I haven't seen in over a year, which, which, excuse me, which is really weird. And talking to guys in the league, general managers and head coaches, they're everyone's just kind of, I don't want to say frustrated, but it's just so different from what you're used to having, you know, normally you've got 12 to 15 games that you've just seen of these players. And you look down the line, like, you know, Jamar Chase is going to be one of the top five, seven picks in, in, in the wide receiver from LSU. And he opted out. Um, Jalen Waddell got injured after the first four games. So you don't have a lot of, a lot of tape on him. Panay Sewell, the op the top offensive tackle opted out. The second offensive tackle, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern, opted out. Micah Parsons from Penn State opted out. Like uh, We're talking about top 10, top 15 players that you haven't seen in over a year. And so it's, it, it's challenging. It, it really is because you don't know where they are physically. You don't know. You know there's, there's a difference between like working out and, and being in good shape and then football shape. And so it, I think it's going to play a big part into to this year's draft in terms of teams just wanting to know what they see. And, and really, you know, if, if, if you have a similar grade on a, a guy that didn't play in 2019 versus a guy that or, or didn't play in 2020 versus a guy that hasn't played, to, um, you know, that played in 2020, you're going to probably go with the guy that played this past season because you just feel like you have more information on it. We'll go to Josh, and then we'll go to Eric with DenverBroncos.com. So, Todd, just, just following up on, on that, um, who are – you talked about the guys in the top 10 or 15 who opted out. Who are some of the guys you think maybe got hurt the most by not playing in 2020? Um, I don't know that anyone got hurt, but, uh, but I, I would say the offensive tackles. Panay Sewell could have – if he played this year – I think he, he would have kind of solidified himself as, as a top five, seven pick, you know, and, and now or if you're Cincinnati, right. And you're picking at five, 
And you've got a quarterback in Joe Burrow that clearly needs another weapon. Could it be Kyle Pitts who played this past year? Could it be Jamar Chase who didn't play this past year from LSU at wide receiver? Or would you take Panay Sewell? I think Sewell could have really helped himself had he played this past year, but I'm not, I'm not saying that it hurt him. It's just that, you know, I, I would rather have the information that I have on Pitts at the tight end position coming out of Florida because I, I saw him this past year being probably the most dominant offensive player in college football. So those are the kind of guys that I, I think it I, – I, again, I don't necessarily think it hurt him, but if you're sitting there looking at those three players, the guy that played and that you saw mo- most recently and you know more about, you're probably more likely to, to make that pick at – at number five overall, or maybe six for Miami, wherever it is. So, um, but again, like half of these guys in the first round either were injured or didn't play. So you got to make tough decisions. We'll go to Eric next and then Dave Burkett with the Detroit Free Press. Yeah. Hey, Todd, uh, for the Broncos at nine, why was Sertan over Fields the right choice there in your eyes? And uh, are there a couple of other names that you strongly considered there for Denver? Yeah, that, that was a tough call. Um, I had New England moving up to from 15 to 11 for Fields. And it wouldn't shock me at all, to be totally honest, if, if Fields was the pick there, if he's available. I mean, he's still developing in terms of processing, and he, he loves to see his receiver open versus um, anticipating throws. But I, I have him ranked ahead of Mac Jones. I just – you know, with these mock drafts, I have to basically go off of the intel that I'm getting from, from teams in the league and, and, you know, people who are close to the situation. And San Francisco, it seems like, from all the information I have, it really likes Mac Jones, but who knows? It, it could be Fields there. It could be Trey Lance. Um, but Denver at nine is, is interesting. I, I don't know that they, they've given up on Drew Locke, you know, and I think that they continue to put – people around him and, and support him better that he, he can have a really successful career. But if you're sitting there at nine and fields is available, it wouldn't shock me at all if, if they went in the quarterback spot. So I, again, I, I really struggled with that one. I struggled at three with San Francisco because I thought that Lance was going to be, you know, a, a better option for San Fran, but the Intel was different. And then I Atlanta at four, I struggled. I, I wound up going with, um, with Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida over a quarterback and that kind of bumped the quarterbacks down a little bit, but it, it would not surprise me again, if, if fields was a top five pick overall. And, and if he's sitting there at nine, Denver absolutely could pull the trigger. We'll go to Dave and then Garen Emig with Tulsa world. Hey Todd, uh, appreciate the time. Uh, two things for you. First, you were just talking about Sewell. Um, how, how, how does he stack up to the offensive tackles uh, in last year's draft? I'm thinking of him as a possibility for the Lions at seven. And then, you know, you said this this wide receiver class is loaded, and I think everyone agrees with that. If that's the case, um, why would teams take one in the top ten? You know, why not wait and get one in round two or three? Yeah, I mean, that, that makes that makes sense. I, I don't disagree with it, but I think the offensive tackle class is, is pretty strong too. So, I mean, you could you could make the argument – in, uh, in both cases with Sewell. I mean, he, he definitely could go earlier. I, I, as you go through these mock drafts, you're, you're plugging in the quarterbacks early and then the pass catchers. 
I think Detroit has a bigger need at the wide receiver spot. But yes, in the second round, they could get, you know, Rondell Moore from from Purdue. They could get Tutu Atwell from from uh, Louisville. They could get Terrace Marshall, the the six four, two hundred pound receiver with great speed, uh, coming out of LSU. So there are options in the second round if they go offensive tackle in the first. Um, Sewell. Sewell's such a good player. I mean, he, again, we haven't seen him play in over a year, but he's 330 pounds. He's long, he's athletic. Um, he's, he's not as, as quick and sudden as Slater from, um, from Northwestern, Rashawn Slater, but he's, he's so hard to get around because he's so long and big. And once he latches onto you, it's, it's over. So I think he's going to be the first offensive tackle off the board. I had him dropping, I think, 13 overall, but I could see him going in the top. You know, he could go five to Cincinnati. So we'll see how it all plays out. But uh, but you really can't go wrong with Sewell or Slater, in my opinion. I think both guys are going to be all pro-type offensive tackles in the league. We'll go to Garen with Tulsa World and then Michael with AL.com. Yeah, Todd, I need, need some help sort of assessing Creed Humphrey's situation, the center from Oklahoma. Is, is he helped by the way the you know, NFL execs and, and personnel see that position? Is there, is, there, is there an enlightenment with regard to the center position? Or is, he still, is, he still, is there a mold there that he's got to break out of to, to really enhance his, his, uh, his draft position? No, I, there, there's value there. I mean, you want a center who can, who can come in and, and kind of be in control of the offensive line. And, and I think he can do that. The, the hard part with Creed was that his freshman year, when he had the four other guys around him, they all wound up, wound up getting drafted pretty early. He, he excelled. His second year, his sophomore year, I didn't think he played that well. And I was surprised because I thought that he – was the best offensive lineman going back to 20, what was it, 2018. I thought it was the, the best offensive lineman in that group. And again, those other four guys all got drafted. So then this past year, I thought he improved more. Um, he is, he's strong in the upper body. He can, he can handle the nose tackle. I think he's really good in the run game. He's big. He's physical. Um, his pass protection is solid but it's not elite. I think that's an area that he's going to have to continue to improve upon, but, but he's versatile. Um, he could, I think he could play center or guard in the, the NFL if the team wanted to move him, uh, and, and that adds value. And he's a three-year starter who's got over 2000 snaps. So he, he's, you know, he's, he's been around the game. He knows it and he's, he's gotten a lot of game experience. So I, I like him. I, I think he's, I would say he, if, if not the top center in this class, then he's number two, number two in terms of the centers and, and very likely to go in the second round. We'll go to Michael and then John Hale with the Courier Journal. Yeah, Todd, I just see that uh, you have Mac Jones rising in your uh, mock draft. So what has he done the past few weeks to improve his stock? I don't think it's anything in the past weeks. It, it just simply, as I mentioned before, came down to um, – to the intel that I was getting from, you know, people in and around the, the San Francisco situation. You know, they moved up from, from 12 to, to number three. And listen, I, I think Trey Lance would be a perfect fit. He's great in terms of play action. San Francisco is fourth 
I think fourth in the league in terms of play action snaps this past year. And that, that's, you know, that's what Kyle Shanahan wants to do. And that, that's kind of what a, a, a big part of their, their offense is. Um, but Mac Jones is also really good as well. And, and when you look at Mac Jones, the, I'm not big on stats, but if you look at the analytics, the three most important things to me are pressure. You know, how, what, what's your QBR under pressure? What's your, Q, your QBR under, uh, when blitzed? And then what's your, your QBR when throwing the ball 20 plus yards down the field? And he's number one in all three categories. He's a 78.3 QBR pressured, uh, 97.3 QBR when blitzed, and he completed 61% of his throws 21 plus yards down the field. So it, it kind of it matches up with what you see on tape. Now he's not as mobile as Trevor, Trevor Lawrence or or Zach Wilson or uh, Trey Lance or Justin Fields, and that's the knock. And he doesn't he has a, a solid arm, but he doesn't have the arm strength that those other four guys have. So physically he's not bringing to the table what you get with the other four quarterbacks, but mentally and from an accuracy standpoint, he's as good as any quarterback in this class. So it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm fascinated to see where he goes. And if he winds up in San Francisco, I think it's a, a perfect spot for him. He has one of the best offensive minds in, in, in the game and Kyle Shanahan to help develop him quickly. Um, but if he winds up going to New England at 15 or wherever, you know, somewhere else, and we'll see how that plays out. But I, I think he's got a chance to be a really good pro, but he, he needs more protection and support around him than maybe the other guys do, especially early in, the, in his career, because he can't get, get himself out of trouble with his legs. We'll go to John and then Joshua Allen with Bucks Report. Hey, Todd, this time a year ago, Jamin Davis at Kentucky wasn't even necessarily the favorite to start at his position for them. I'm curious, is that lack of a track record a concern at all? And then after his pro day, how high can you reasonably see him going? I love Jamin Davis. I really do. I, I've been messing with Mel about it because I told him about Jamin Davis and then he, I, I've got him going late in the first round. He bumped him up to like 15 overall. Um, and I was like, listen, Mel, you, you didn't even know this guy before I told you about him, but he obviously did. Um, he's long, you know, for an, an off-the-ball linebacker, he's long-limbed. He, he does a really good job of getting through blocks. He's got great short area quickness and suddenness. And what I, I love watching him because – he breeds the play so quickly, especially on run, run plays, and just shoots that gap. You know, just – he sees it so fast. So, I mean, as a linebacker, you've got to – your first read is the guard to, to see if it's pass protection or, or if they're pulling or if it's a run play. And then the second thing you've got to do is you've got to locate the ball. And I, Teddy Bruschi and I talk about this all the time. Like the most important thing that he had to do in terms of transitioning from being an edge guy at Arizona to being an off the ball linebacker was the second read, the locating the ball. And he, I always look for that in linebackers because of, of how many times we've watched linebacker, linebackers together on tape and the, the conversations we've had. It's so important. He does it so quickly and, and he can, you know, he's not great in coverage, but he, he can cover. And I just, to me, 
his ability to, to defend the run and then to be able to cover, um, he's, he's a complete guy. And I think he, he, you saw in the pro day workout, I mean, his, his numbers were outstanding and, um, and he's such a good tackler in space as well. So I, I can't say enough good things about him, you know, off the ball linebackers tend to drop a little bit, especially in this, this draft with all the wide receivers and the quarterbacks going early. Uh, but I, I cannot see him getting out of the first round. I think he's, Outside of Micah Parsons, I would say Davis is the, the next best off-the-ball off the linebacker. We'll go to Joshua and then Alan Sanders with Pittsburgh Sports Now. Hey, Todd, just wondering, with all the recent movement from pick 32 in the past years, what are the, what are the odds the Bucks move out of that spot and try to trade back uh, with the talent at that second round, kind of um, the end of the first, beginning of the second, all kind of around the same area? And then what are your thoughts on Deo Adeyingbo of uh, Vanderbilt? And then what are your five tech rankings in this draft so far? Yeah, I, I think there's a good chance they can move back. And, and listen, I mean, that, you know, Jason Light has done, done amazing things and, and really put this whole organization together. Obviously, Tom Brady was kind of the, the glue at the end. But um, and in free agency, they brought back all, what was it, all 22 starters. So. They're, they're in a position to either sit there at 32 and if a player falls at any position, seriously, like any position, just take him. If, if they have him ranked at, you know, 14, 15, 16 on their board and someone falls at 32, you take him. But you also can move out of, out of the first round and get value and, and add more, more pieces for the future. And a lot of teams in that like 25 to 32 range typically like to, to do that and take advantage of a team that's desperate to move up to go get a guy. Um, in terms of needs, I mean, I, running back for the future, I know they, they re-signed Fournette for uh, one year, but running back for the future would be a spot. Um, they could use another wide receiver, I think a, kind of a slot receiver. And again, they could at 32, whether it's Rondell Moore from Purdue or Tutu Atwell um, from Louisville or Elijah Moore from Ole Miss, you could either take him at 32 or maybe move back a handful of spots and, and wind up taking basically the same player at that spot as well. So I think, again, running back, slot receiver, left tackle, and then at some point maybe a quarterback to kind of develop for the future. But but I, obviously it's not a, a huge priority at this point. And your thoughts on Deo Adeyingbo of Vanderbilt? Who's that? Uh, Deo Adeyingbo from Vanderbilt. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like him. I think he's a good player. I think he's a day. He's going to be a day three pick. Um, I watched his tape a few weeks ago. Uh, I've got a sixty nine grade on him, which is fourth round. So he's six five, two hundred and seventy nine pounds. I think he can be a, a really good kind of five technique in a, a three four scheme. Uh, he didn't, he didn't play in, in any of the, you know, the senior bowl or anything like, like that, but he obviously was an underclassman. So, so didn't get the opportunity, but, but uh, again, I, I think with his length and his strength, he fits really well as a, a five technique and kind of kick inside in the three, four scheme. Next up is Allen and then Drew Davidson with the Fort Worth star telegram. Hey, Todd, you've got the Steelers taking uh, Najee Harris, and you also mentioned their needs at offensive line. They also have needs at cornerback and linebacker. It seems like trading down would make a lot of sense for them, but are there teams, in your opinion, that might f 
feel the need to move up to that 24 spot, either from the end of the first round or, or the beginning of the second round that might make sense for a move there? Yeah. I mean, you never know. You're, you're always looking for a dance partner. If, if you're, if you're in that spot with multiple needs, I think running back is probably the biggest need that they have. But as you mentioned it, I've got tackle guard center kind of as the, as the next two, two or three big needs. And then after that, I think, you know, I, I maybe drafting a quarterback to try to develop and see what happens. But, um, but really I think it's running back and offensive line. Um, typically the movement late in the round is for quarterbacks, you know? Um, and I, I think the first five quarterbacks are going to go early. Now, if, if Mac Jones were to knock, Mac Jones is the most interesting guy of all of them, because if he doesn't go three, he could fall to 15 to new England or new England could, could pass. I mean, we'll, we'll have to see. So if there's not one of those five quarterbacks available when Pittsburgh's picking at 24 overall, I, again, maybe there's there's a team moving up to get an offensive tackle, like a, uh, you know, like a Christian Derisaw from from Virginia Tech or or Liam Eichenberg from from uh, Notre Dame. But I don't know that Pittsburgh would want to move out of that spot and and pass up the opportunity to take one of these top running backs. But maybe they could. And it, you know, if they if they do pass up and they move back with a team there's still other really good running backs uh, behind them. And I, I think the two North Carolina guys are probably the next best running backs in, in this, uh, in this draft class. So they, they definitely have options, but I don't know that a team is going to be really motivated to move up to number 24, to go, to go get a player. If the, the all five quarterbacks in the first round are gone. You've got the, I'm taking the center in the second round. Is there a tackle uh, in the third round or beyond that, that you like for them? Uh, Dylan, Dylan Raygun's from uh, North Dakota State is, I, I think, an intriguing player. I've got a third round grade on him. This this tackle class, as I mentioned before, is, is pretty deep. You know, you got Walker Little from Stanford, who's 6'7", 315 pounds. Raydon's is a really good athlete. He's uh, he's about 200. I think he's 299, right around three 300 pounds. But he's quick and he does a really good job of, of mirroring. Um, in terms of pass protection, Cincinnati's James Hudson, the third, basically a one year star at Cincinnati after transferring and having all sorts of issues uh, coming from Michigan. But he's he's a really good player. I think he's going to be a right tackle in the league. Uh, but those are those are three guys that I think will be available in round three. Thanks, Todd. Yep. We'll go to Drew and then Eric Smith with Vikings.com. Yeah, Todd, just uh, kind of a two-part question. There, there are no safeties taken in the first round last year, but kind of why do you like Trey Merrig and, and what do you like about him coming out of TCU? I think you have him going to the Raiders at 17. And then second part, just any other TCU guys kind of catching your eye? I love Merrig. I, I, I went into this year um, thinking that the, the, uh, the Oregon safety, just based off of watching games, uh, Javon Holland, was going to be the best safety in the class. And after I studied the, the tape on, on Merrick, I, I just I fell in love with him. I mean, he, first of all, he, he's got length and he has great ball skills and he, his ball production is outstanding. He's, I don't have his pro day numbers in front of me, but I think, you know, six, six, two, 200 plus pounds and he's long. 
and he plays long and you love that for a safety. He's got speed and he's just, if he's not breaking up passes, I think he had um, 12, 12 PBUs in the pass breakups in, in 2019 and eight in, in 2020. So you're talking about 20 pass breaks up, breakups in a two year span. And, uh, and he's just, he's got really good hands as well. He's explosive. I think he fills hard versus the run. He can be a single high safety, but he's also going to s- support the run. So you, typically you get a, a safety who you know, has the athleticism is just kind of a ball hawk and, and has great range, but he's not great run support. But I think he's, I think he's a really complete player. And that's why I've got him as the, I think the only safety going in the first round. And I think he's, he's one of the best defensive players in this entire class. We'll go to Eric next and then Jory with USA Today. Hey, Todd, you have the Vikings taking Rashawn Slater at number 14. Based on who's there, whether it's Slater, Darisaw, or, you know, even Barrett Tucker, do you think that O-line is the top choice for Minnesota? Um, I, I think it's, it's likely, but I also think that they could take an edge rusher too. And I, I actually don't have my mock draft in front of me, but, you know, Quiddy Pay would be an option down in Michigan. Greg Rousseau from, from Miami, Jalen Phillips from Miami as well. Uh, those, those guys would be options where, uh, where Minnesota's picking at 15 overall. But I, these offensive tackles are really good. I, I, I'm not saying that they're, they're going to be, you know, the, the best in the league, but I think they, they're with um, Panay Sewell from Oregon and Rashawn Slater from Northwestern and even um, Vera Tucker from USC, who you mentioned. I think they're all plug and play starters right away. And I think that they're going to be really good pros. I, I think they're probably three of the safest picks in the first round, to be honest with you. Even, you know, we've talked so much about the quarterbacks and the receivers and all these guys are ready to play in the NFL. And I'm, I'm excited to see them at the next level. So, you know, Rick Spielman always does a really good job drafting and, and, and moving around, I, I could see them moving around a little bit and taking advantage of a team trying to move up, especially if um, if uh, they're picking a 14. I said 15, but they're at 14. Um, especially if a team like New England want to move up for a quarterback or Chicago or something like that. But uh, but ultimately, I, I think offensive line is probably the safest spot for them there. But if it's not offensive line, I, I would go edge edge defender. All right, I think we have time for just one more. We'll go to Jory. Thanks for your time today, Todd, and thanks, Allie. How would you characterize where Longhorns quarterback prospect Sam Ellinger's game is at right now and what you think his potential is? Do you expect him to be drafted, and do you expect him to grow into an effective pro quarterback? Yeah, this is a tough one. I I love Sam. I love his competitiveness. I've, I've sat and talked to him, and, you know, I know his backstory and what he's gone through with his dad passing away and, how competitive he is and how tough he is. Um, he, the biggest thing for him is that he needs to improve his consistency as a passer. I mean, he, he can run, he's got great pocket presence. He's physical, he's tough. Um, he takes care of the football. He only turned the ball over 20, uh, I think it was like 21 times and almost a thousand dropbacks over the past two years. And, he he's got great experience, but he he's just when especially throwing the deep ball. That's where I, I struggle the most with him. Um, 
his his deep ball accuracy is not where it needs to be. And I've got, I mean, I saw it on tape, and then I, I got this packet from our, our great ESPN stats and info group. Um, the throws down the field, 20, 21 plus yards of 15 quarterbacks that they evaluated in this year's class, he's 15th. He, he completed a, on, only 29.7% of his, his throws, 20 plus, 21 plus yards down the field. So that's, I mean, he's just going to have to improve in that area. So I, I think he's going to be a late, probably a, a day three pick. I think he's going to come in and I know he's going to bring the toughness and competitiveness and the football intelligence that he has uh, to that team. But what he's got to do is get with someone who can actually help him improve his, his consistency with his, his deep ball accuracy and his overall accuracy as quarterback. Thanks, Ted. I know Todd has a noon segment, so I will let him go to that. Todd, thank you. Media members, thank you. I do realize we didn't get to all of the raised hands, but we will have more conference calls in the weeks ahead. So if I didn't get to you today, hope to get to you then. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great rest of your week.